0: Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats, the Lord is good. Alright, let's open our Bibles. We are going to start again today to look at what salvation is. we are going to continue more like it. So let's open our Bibles to continue looking at what salvation is. And today we are going to pick it up from uh, the book of Galatians. I need us to read something before we go to that Galatians chapter 1. And that's the book of Colossians chapter 1. Let's start with that one. Now there's something, we uh, there's a word I want to bring out which I said... I was referring to that we hear a lot, and we often use interchangeably with salvation, all right? Which is um, in chapter 1, verse 13. Okay. For time's sake, I will just um, read just that one verse. It said, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Because I want you to note that word, redemption. Redemption, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now let's now go back to that Galatians chapter 1. We'll read that and I will explain the meaning of this word redemption again. I believe many of us know what it means, but let's just make sure that we all do, and then uh, we'll be able to understand each other when we converse on the matter of salvation. Now, Paul was explaining something here about his life, trying to talk about the genuineness of his mission, the authenticity of the message that he was preaching. In that process, he gave us a background to his life. And that is what I want to read. We just read about um, seven verses from verse 11. He said, For I will have you know, brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who has set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. I'm going to stop reading in that verse 17 there. But notes what the reason I read it is in verse 15, especially verse 15. Paul said that, in that verse 15, before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Now, I want to remind us of the meaning of the word redemption. Let's start with that redemption thing. We read that one first, okay? What does it mean to redeem? It does not mean to save. Salvation means to be delivered. To redeem means to buy. Now, both of them are in the package that we experience in salvation. Number one, it means to what? Of course, salvation means literally, the word salvation is a noun for the verb save. Salvation means that somebody was lost, now he's been found. The fellow was in bondage, then he's been delivered. That is the meaning of salvation. So as part of it, we have things like healing, it's part of salvation. There are so many things that are part of salvation, and we easily understand what salvation is. But many of us think that is the meaning of redemption. They go together, all right? Let me just be clear about it. They do go together, but they don't mean exactly the same thing. There are different components in the package of being born again. There are different components in the package of becoming a believer in Christ Jesus. What does redemption mean? Redemption means to buy. Each, one, each word is laying a different emphasis. Salvation is laying the emphasis on deliverance. Redemption is laying emphasis, there's an interesting word, on change of ownership. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, sir. It's laying emphasis on what? Change of ownership. I don't know whether you ever bought a car, a used car. You understand? One of the things they give you is change of ownership because the car has been registered in somebody's name. They have to give you a paper saying that this car no longer belongs to Mr. A. It now belongs to Ms. X. It's called change of ownership. If you buy a property, a house, they do that also, a plot of land. It's called change of ownership. Now, what is redemption? Redemption simply means that I paid for something, all right, which was lawfully held. Now, when I pay for it, it becomes mine. That is one part of it that people don't understand. Like I said last time, many people don't care whether God uses them or not. They don't. All right, what they just want is a salvation part of the package, They want to be delivered. If they were sick, they want to be healed. You hear people say things like, "I was on the verge of suicide until I met the Lord." So, no longer do they want to. uh, No longer are they suicidal. Now they have a reason to live. They have confidence in life. The, The spirit of suicide has let go of them. That's one part of it. That is salvation. Are you getting my point? Sometimes somebody was in bondage to a sin, a kind of habit, all right, a form of addiction. And the fellow didn't like it. The spirit of addiction, the spirit of um, affliction was really crushing the fellow's soul. Then you hear things like, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. Things like that. That's what they call salvation. That's what the word salvation referred to. That is, a time came in which your sins that will have killed you, that will have sent you into eternal damnation, you were washed away from that sin, or those sins, and then you were forgiven. Now you have a new life in Christ Jesus. That is salvation. But part of salvation, there's a principle of salvation that involves redemption. What does that mean? It is the is issue of ownership. What it means is that you were sold. When you, were, when you are held as a slave, when you are in bondage, Satan, you must understand how the way spiritual things work. It doesn't just take something for nothing. Each person is sold as a slave. Did you hear what I said? Each person is what? Sold as a slave. Think about it. Esau sold his birthright, it became that of of Jacob. It is a transaction. Many times we sell our freedom. Let me just say something quickly. Many times we are selling, we don't know we are selling. Do you realize that Esau did not know he sold? He thought he joked. Did you catch what I said? If he knew he sold, why was he looking for the best right? If he realized it had been sold, why was he harassing Jacob? Why was he trying to kill Jacob? What was the problem? He didn't realize he sold it. By the time he realized the enormity of the transaction, it had already been accomplished. By the time he realized that this thing is not a joke, it, think about it. It's like you won a scholarship. So go and study in one of the best universities in Nigeria. Free. I mean, all expenses paid. Tuition, boarding, and some extra change for other things like clothes, food, you know, stuff like that. Everything, is, everything will be paid. And then it came in an envelope. Let's make a long story. So he didn't realize the value of it. Somebody said that, you ask somebody, please, I don't have credit on my phone. Could you give me some recharge card? For those who understand recharge card Nigeria, that's what we call top. What they call top up in UK, you know, ed- core call credits. All right, for whatever you are watching us from, and then you give the fellow for thousand five hundred naira. You know, give you an MTN card and you give him your envelope because he didn't know what was inside. The value, as we say, four or five years. I just five years. The value of that thing in a year is over one point five million naira. For five years, that's how much. 7.5. Yet you sold it for 1,500 naira. And you lost on that. <laughs> that was worth 7.5 million. When you found another, the guy said, Give me my thing. He said, ah, hey, Wait, it was, it, was, it was sealed. You sold it. You signed. Usually Satan sell buys people. When he gathers people into bondage, it's not free. There was a transaction. He paid. You may not realize it, you collected something from him. Sometimes, sometimes it's pleasure for one hour. Sometimes it is pleasure for a year. sometimes it is influence, sometimes it is a lot of money. And listen to me, Satan may be foolish when it comes to God, but generally in life is a very wise person. He will never, listen to me, offer you something. I may offer to buy something for you, and not be getting more. Than what you are giving, what is given? It's not possible. Let me tell you something about your life. The stronger the de- temptation, especially when it comes to financial remunerations and all of that, all right? The more you should realize the value of your destiny. There's somebody comes to me now and say, Pastor Bank, as an example, we want you to start <laughs> helping us to say this on air so that we can increase maybe our political clout or sell something and make money. And I say, eh. Hey. And I said, for that, we're so going to give you $10 million. And that will be every year that you continue doing it. Instantly, I know the value of what I am doing is more than $10 million. At least you should be at least 20 million. Because now the fellow offering may not realize what he's saying, but Satan that has sent him. He knows what he's going to gain. I know I'm, I'm wreaking more havoc in the kingdom of darkness than 10 million dollars can do. That's why he's willing to all fight. I hope I get my point. Don't let anybody ever buy your destiny. We won't teach much about that now, but I want to emphasize that it's a sale. I told I told the story of Esau for us to realize that even though I say it's a sale, don't think it will be a major sale. Sometimes it's a small thing. People sometimes <laughs> let me talk to ministers. They have sold their ministry because somebody offered them a big ministry. Did you hear what I said? Let me explain it again. There are denominations in this world that are headed by, I mean, they are our own, they are, they are Christians, okay? You know, one of the things, if you want to start ministry, now, please, don't take this to heart. I don't mean there's an insult or anything, just a matter of fact. In fact, we all know it, that if a church starts without a brand attached, let me give you an example now. If you want to start a church and you go with the name the redeemed Christian church of God. Whether you are anointed or not, next Sunday somebody will come. You know that as a matter of fact. It's not, it's not rocket science. We all know it. It's not, We're not insulting anybody. Once I read somewhere that a church that starts without any name, it takes it seven years longer than the one that has the name on the average to reach the same number. Are you getting my point? Because once you use a big name, people around just come there. That, you see this is not um, it's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, it's just a thing. <laughs> are you getting my point? Okay? Now so when I say that some people have sold their ministries. So if you are called and you're on your own sometimes, building a ministry can be very, <laughs> very dis- yeah, frustrating, discouraging. Now, I don't know how good Kingdom War Ministries is. I don't know. I'm not saying we are good or we are bad. But let me tell you the truth. You know what I said? Do you know when we started using this pulpit? Maybe not this very one. But first I would put a pulpit and I started teaching. I started recording. 2003, 17 years ago. If you go to our website or get, get at our catalog, man on assignment, first one I preached, followed by understanding the new covenant. They were preached in the year 2003. I was very handsome that time. You know the way it was? <laughs> the building we at that time was not really completed. No electricity, nothing. We just rented it. We put, we put our doors by ourselves. Then when we were coming, we had a small tape recorder. We removed the car battery. It was the cheapest because you needed them um, to run it with um, no power there. You understand? So one of the reasons the messages were short was not because I lacked anointing. We had to close there was darkness, no fire, no way to cool you. So you couldn't really stay for so long. But we preached anyway. I think the following year was when we acquired this. We had a smaller one that time. following year or two years later, I decided no, I wanted something bigger that I could keep stuff on. And we've been doing that that's 17 years ago. Now, I don't know how big in quote we are. I don't know how, look, I just like what I do. I just teach. So when you see that we have over a 1,000, I checked last time, over 1,400 messages on our website. They were not preached overnight. We have many more that are not there. Oh, we have many more. Why we didn't just put the rest? just to let not overcrowd the place. We have many more. The ones who preach in other places, are not most of them are not there. We go around doing seminars, most of them are not there. The ones we preach in Makodi, they are not there. The ones who preach for over a year in Ab- Abakliki, every week, they are not there. You understand? Okay, well, I'm going to say something. So it takes time. It takes time. Oh, that was when we started preaching physically. When we started the ministry itself, it was just tracks, just my wife and I. And we printed 10,000 copies and distributed like that. Now, if you want to ministry to, if you want to save that 17 years, they said, on the average, statistics, Okay? You could start with somebody's name. Like now, if you want to start now, and I say, okay, and I announce on air, say, hey, it's Kingdom World Ministries, port You won't go through what we went through. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's common sense. We just announce on air, place on, in port This is where we meet. We meet regularly every so-and-so-and-so day. Insta- the first day you go there, at least you will find four people. Four may not look big, but I'll tell you something. In Kingdom World of good that time, there was a day I traveled. I rushed to get back. One of our brothers was burying the dad, so we went for the funeral. So I rushed back. We joined the luxury bus to come back. I rushed back in the rain and got to Kingdom World office. It was on top floor, just like this, but the other building. So I stayed downstairs. I was wet. So I stayed there. I stayed there for one hour. Nobody. Nobody came. Nobody. I was the only. That is that day. He said, "What about your wife? She was waiting for me at home, because you know, I returned from my journey late, so I couldn't go home before we now come down together. So I just went straight to Kingdom Word Office and waited. I just sat in front of the building, and nobody passed by me. They said, "Pastor, what are you doing here? Nobody. Not one person. And that was not the month we started." We have been meeting regularly for quite a while. I don't know how long. can't remember exactly how long. And it was a good revelation. Do you know why? Because if I had gone home first, I would have taken my wife, and maybe sometime we'll have my younger brother with us, or one of my wife's uh, cousins, people like that. So we'll come from home, and we'll be like four, and you look like you have a congregation. I told you about when we started, we did a program, rented the hall, the third day, there was only, if you didn't count me, didn't count my wife, there was only one person that came and it was my good friend. A loyal friend. A friend in the time of trouble. A friend that sticks closer than your brother. He was the only one that showed up. So when I tell you four people show up, don't think it's, look, it's breakthrough. You start ministry, four people came. Four. Four people. Four people. One the Pastor Murphy was giving testimony. <laughs> When is at the church. <laughs> so that day he sat down. He realized he was the only person. Then suddenly somebody showed up. Then my wife drove in. Ah, this thing is that. We had service. So my wife said, What is offering time? He said, There's no offering time. My wife said, There must be offering time. <laughs> then he said that he didn't. He said, like There was nobody. It happens. i am I telling this story? Just to encourage somebody. Fact, there was one, there, there was a day I, said, I found one of the pictures we took those days after we've been preaching for months. No Pastor Moff, he saw it I said, I just sent it around to a few people. He said, This was Kingdom Word. I said, Yes, said, I'm encouraged. <laughs> he saw the handful of people, brethren, I preached with my heart too. That's a digression, alright? I know I know my message. Now, so a lot of people now talk about how, when you say your destiny. A lot of people are not willing to wait for that. Sometimes, sometimes people will abandon their God given ministries. Because they want to jump that first seven years. Sometimes they will do it. I was trying to explain something. When you are selling, many times you don't know. Many people in that process, they have left. Sometimes God doesn't want you to start a church. Because what most ministries can give to you is a name to start a church. You know what they call church? They can't help you do evangelism. Have you noticed that? It's not going to help you do evangelism. It's not going to help you do outreach to schools. It's not going to help you do outreach to prisons. It's not going to help you do many of these things. And for some people, that is the thing that God said do. Things that don't bring money. Well, you are not going to be papa over anybody. No, that papa title has its own good thing. Your birthday is a a national event. If you're an evangelist, is it the sinners you are preaching to that will recommend? (laughs) They don't care. I just feel like dropping that. Let's give us our main message. So people sell. People sell. People sell for different reasons. We sell for comfort. We sell because we want to be like God. That was how um, Eve and Adam sold. We sell. But the point is that once we have sold, we are now in what? Bondage. There's what the Bible now calls the lawful captive. You've been lawfully captured. You are in a cage. In which the fellow who captured you. Has put you. Bear that in mind. Now what am I talking about? So when Jesus comes to save. You've heard me say this many times. The salvation is not free. Salvation is not free. Actually what he does. Is to. Offer payment. He has to exchange something for your freedom. That's what a lot of people don't understand. So when he does that, okay, this is a law. As soon as he does that, you become his own. Now, when, what you are called, that when you are called redeemed, what it simply means that I have been bought. I hope you're getting my point. That's the meaning of redemption. To redeem means to buy, and I'm going to talk about two kinds of payment. All right. First of all, is the one Jesus paid, and there's a token that each person must pay. I don't know whether to get into that now or let me finish. Okay, let me finish the other thing. There's a token each person must pay for his or her deliverance. It's a token because it really does not pay. It is Jesus that pays hundred percent. But there are things you have to give to Jesus as a sign that you accept his payment, his sacrifice, let me put it like that. The effort he has put in on your behalf. Salvation is not free at all. Jesus pays, you also pay. You'll see what I mean by pay in a moment. Let me see how I'll get into it. But my emphasis, first of all, is that first, we are sold. We are sold into slavery. We enter into the slavery through disobedience. Satan uses tricks to capture people. He offers people things. You know when he came to Jesus, you know what he said? Bow to me and I will do what? I will give you all these kingdoms, they are mine, they've been given to me. And he was not lying. He was offering Jesus something by which he would buy him and make him his subject. When God wants to redeem us, let's just, of course, let's say it could not have happened otherwise, but let's just be like, let's thank God Jesus did not fall for it. When God wants to redeem us from where we have sold ourselves into, he also has to pay. So when Jesus, of course, the payment was the life of Jesus Christ, he had to offer that life in exchange for our freedom. But what many of us don't realize is that he didn't just set us free, And left us to go. Actually after that we became his rightful. Please let me use the word captive. We are now lawfully, legally his own property. Salvation is not you have been saved, go away. No. You have been saved to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you were serving Satan, you were serving the world, you were serving the devil's agenda. When Jesus, when Jesus saves you, you are, you now become his servant. As in you, he now owns his ownership, his ownership we are talking about. The salvation has been preached to us or we chose to accept that side of it mostly as if I have been set free. I'm free. I'm free. Amen. I'm free. But listen, everything in life has a purpose. What is the purpose of your freedom? I hope you're getting my point here. You have been set free to serve God. You have been set free. You understand? When you come into Christ Jesus, you yield yourself. That is your own payment. You remember I said that it's not free. He pays, you pay. What do you pay? You yield your life totally to him. It is cheap, but it's also expensive, depending on how you want to look at it. It is cheap because you are worth nothing. I don't know whether I get my point. You no, know, think about it. Somebody wants to give me a house, big house, all right, complete with quarters here and there on the land. Let's use one. Most people can see it. Okay, standard plot on 10 plots. I'm talking about 5,000, square meters, all right? Big house. Funny well, I don't mean big house with nothing inside. Compound, well done, everything. He now says take the house. Let's ass- assess it, any go value to the, let's say, it's a $250 naira. big house. All right? He now says the only thing he wants is every material thing I have. Now, you now look at me. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. All I have is one traveling bag. Now, think about it. It contains my books. A pair of shoes, a pair of slippers. I'm wearing my shoes right now. He has a pair of slippers. He has one or two things. And that was, that's, now listen to what I'm going to say. This is all I have saved up, all the years of working, the last five, six years. Everything I have, okay, I have one small computer inside, which I used to do small hustle. No one said I should give him everything. Now, there are two ways you look at it. If you look at the house, 250 million Naira value, okay. And you look at everything I have. You put everything together: my computer, this and that, money, clothes, everything that can fit into a bag. Maybe it comes about three hundred thousand naira. Is that cheap or expensive? The house? No, there's no cash to it. Is that cheap or expensive? No, ask me. Is that inexpensive or it is expensive? Why is everybody afraid to answer me? They are confused. In Jesus' name, I rebuke confusion from your soul. At the beginning, I prayed for you that you'd not be confused. Your problem is that you are afraid to be wrong. You are not confused. The house is worth 250 million. Everything I have is worth only about 300,000. Is that a good deal or a bad deal? Is that house cheap for me or not? Good. Now, next question. Let us now, let's assume I didn't give somebody the details of what I'm about to buy. But now tell him that the person wants everything I own. Do you follow my point? It's going to be like, ah, hey, that's a lot. Why? You are looking at it from the angle of, it is everything I own. That's what I'm trying to get to. So salvation is like that. What Jesus did for us is huge. The life of God in Him that He laid down is, is of on, I mean, the value you cannot esteem. Is priceless. You can't place a value on it. And what are we giving him? Is our lives, which was worth nothing. But why I say it's a bit expensive, you can look at it from another angle, is that it's the whole life. He doesn't take 90% of it. He does not take 95%. He does not take 99%. He does not take 99.95%. He does not take 99.99%. He takes everything. When you are confused as to the value of your life, you think you are doing him a favor. I don't know what I heard I said. When people are confused as to the value of their lives, they think they are doing Jesus a favor. So you'll be calling them. You didn't come for ch- to church. What a Bible study. And it's like, you know, I wash on Saturdays. Um, on Sundays, I do my, my nails. And then, you know, there's this work they give us in the office. You know, the fellow cannot just... Now, I'm not saying church or Bible studies is all there is to Christianity. I'm just using as an example to typify something. And the fellow kind of feels that if... Uh, you know, I've seen it before. Somebody comes to church. He said that... Uh, uh, can you sit there? If he insists, I sit there. I, I go. If he insists, I sit over here. I, I will just leave. And you know, God didn't make me an usher. Because if I'm the usher, you know what I normally would have done now. <laughs> Now, I'm just gonna open the door for you, my friend. Bros, shift, okay? Move. People behave like that. That's what they do because they think they are so valuable. That is one reason why God finds it easier to save people who are obviously sinners. I don't know why my point. Everybody calls them a sinner. He came to Israel. All the Pharisees with their fine suits and you know, bishops' rings and collars. All right. Who did you say your father is again? Where did you come from? Nazareth. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? Hmm. You could, you you think you are the Messiah, wearing silk robes? And everybody saying, "High priest, where well don't sir?" You know, in the days of my grandfather, the high priest, and his father, the great high priest, that guy can never be saved. <laughs> How can he be saved? It's too important. So I want to pray. Lord we want to thank you for bringing us from a generation of pure people priests unto God and high priests for that matter. And not like these other people adulterers swindlers or even like that, that tax collector over there traitor to his own nation. I fast twice a week I give a tithe of everything that I get. The whole tithe. Even when they give me lift, I check the price of the transport section. I give a tithe. Come on. So when Jesus now says, no, it's not. forget Jesus. Let's start with John. John said, be baptized. Say, from what? From this level of purity? So he will, he will, he will buy a bus to carry all the halots for baptism. He will support the ministry of John. Oh, so they are like that. Also, Brother John, I like what you are doing for this nation. You are helping us be safer. All the armed robbers have given their lives to John. <laughs> you know they are giving your life to Christ. They have been baptized. They have been baptized. The red light districts have closed. Oh, John, you are doing a great work. What will you need? They buy John a bus. John doesn't collect the bus, they arrange transportation. They will go everywhere, carry everybody, but they will never enter that water. What? Enter that water to be baptized by John? God forbid. He will stay there and say, Does John need anything? They will send John food. He says, Sir, he didn't take the food. Okay, there's no problem. Go and catch locusts and release them near him. He will do, listen, he will do everything to, to help John. He will protect John. He will go to Herod and discuss the release of John. But he will never come for baptism. He will never come. In case you are like that, let me just tell you simply. You are too good to be saved. You will die and go to hell. That's not a joke. You know, I told you my name is Amos. Jeremiah. Amos. I will tell you the way it is. Such people are not going to be saved. All the money that they are giving to for nothing. It's zero. It is zero. They think themselves too valuable. They have an over opinion of their own value. So Jesus just looked at them and said, You know, the people that are well, they don't need a doctor. That was what he said. He said, You are well. You don't need me. What they don't understand is that he is a lord of his kingdom, so they can't enter. There are only two kingdoms out there. One is headed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The other is his kingdom of darkness. It's called the domain of darkness. Now, the, what, what, the emphasis on the domain of darkness is this. It is that this is outside God. It's outside Christ. Anybody who can rule, there rules. And the most powerful person there is whom? The devil. So he rules. But one day, him and all his angels and all those who follow him will be cast into the lake of fire. So people sometimes have an overbloated opinion of themselves. That's why you heard me say the other time. Listen, even we pastors sometimes we have an overbloated opinion of natural man. So if a very famous musician gives his life to Christ, you understand? And he comes to our church, you know we have a, a, a feeling of. Being important, you know, okay, I'm going to mention somebody's name because i was read an article that mentioned the name today, all right? It said, Jennifer Lopez is now a member of our church, you know, and you'll be talking about it. Well, thank God the ministry is moving right now. Amen. Praise God. Last week in our evangelism, Jennifer Lopez gave her life to Christ. Amen. She sits in the church, you know, you put her in front. The next Sunday, praise worship. You teach her one or two praise songs, and then you now give her the microphone, and then she comes to him. Hey, we just want to bless life. Yeah. Jesus will just fold his Bible and leave the church. Why? Because in, we ministers, we have an, an a mistaken impression of the value of a natural person. As far as heaven is concerned, another sinner just got saved one other sinner, the same valley as a beggar at the door of Lazarus, that Lazarus at the door of the rich man who has not given his life to Christ, if he gets saved, and if one famous musician gets saved, the same thing, there's no difference. The angels don't jump higher because you have 10, 000, 10 million followers on, on, on Instagram. No, they don't. But you know the natural human being now says, ah, 10 million followers on Instagram. If this girl just posts her testimony, wow, people just give their lives to Christ. Jesus said, eh. Now she said, what should you do? He said, shut down that account. It's, an, it's a satanic account. I am not interested in it. So the 10 million following her on Instagram, 9,999,000 have been condemned already. I have given them salvation the maximum number of times. They're not going to receive it. Don't worry about it. Of the little balance, I'm, me- I'm meeting them through other means, not this platform. So if she really wants to serve me, she has to show- that this- testify. No, 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 no. no, We just assume that God is a showman. He wants to just testify what he has done. What in concern There are people he saved and said, see that you tell no man. He wasn't interested. We just assume that... He- you know, he and the problem is that we have an over bloated opinion of the value of the natural man. As far as God is concerned, Ali with 20 billion dollars is not worth more than the Lazarus that was at the door of that rich man. If you are lost, you are lost. You and your money, you are lost together. And if God wants to save, listen to me. Oh, you know, we think he thinks like us. He doesn't. He doesn't. He can save a man that's worth $10 billion. And the man will come, like Paul. Lord, what do you want me to do? He will say, sell all you have and give to the poor. Then come and follow me. You think the $10 billion will have been great in advancing the gospel. And Jesus says, listen. Lack of money is not why I'm not advancing the gospel. It's not like, it's, it's not it, that is not the problem. It is not lack of money. It's not lack of money. If you two things, if I have enough laborers, now not laborers as if somebody is paying them. That is people from the bottom of their hearts. They are that is they are ready to commit to this work. So, because you can have liberals, now we have 10 million, um, what do you call it, 10 billion dollars, we cannot hire more liberals. Those ones are not valuable to the Lord. They are hirelings. They are not valuable to him. They have to be shepherds like him who believe in that gospel. That's number one. Number two, what he wants, truth in the mouth of every one of them. He said, if I have those two things, don't worry, money is not my problem. Money is not my problem. I can get money to come to them any I will raise money. You know, money will come from everywhere. I will get ravens to bring them resources. So many times we think that, ah, uh, if it, I mean, you know, you know pastors fight over a rich man leaves their church and goes to another church. You won't know why the man is quarreling. Because he's calculating. That's why his message on Titus is strong. It's not about accuracy of doctrine. It's about this man must drop. My little experience in life is not the richest people that give most to to, to the ministry. I hope you understand my point. I hope you know that. I told you a story once that we organized a program those days long ago. This story I'm telling is more than 20 years ago. So we had one of our brethren that worked in an oil company. Two sisters, actually. One worked in an oil company. The other one didn't have a job. She just got a job like a week before in an insurance company. Not like a fantastic job. Now, money has a different value now than then. So let me just use it to these terms, okay? The fellow that just got a job last, like two weeks ago, I mean, she was getting her first salary or second one. She came to me with apology. Ah, Brother Bank is so you. I hope what I'm bringing is acceptable. Let me use today's Naira now as an example. Just give me uh, something like um, okay in real terms that was seven hundred naira. Let me just give you the value, but in today's terms we can multiply it by maybe like ten. Okay? I, I said, ah sis, you, in my mind, ah you try. Oh, when did you see money? You know that kind of thing. Ah, when you see money, you just got a job yesterday. <laughs> the person who had been working for a long time in oil and gas gave us five hundred naira. I felt I said, will you take your money and come and go and pray? Let God speak to you. <laughs> You know, I was angry, like, what kind of thing is this one? Somebody who just got a small job, just hustling job, I've learned over time, it's not the person who's the richest that gives. Listen, go and check it. The people that I give that impressed Paul were the Macedonians. He said they gave from where? The extreme of poverty. They give you know, according to their means and beyond their means. Those are the people that sold what they had. I say, we must give. Ah, there's nothing else in the house. They will sell their bed. So please don't. The, the problem is that we, sometimes natural people, that's what we are. We look, we have an over you know, bloated opinion of the natural man. So if a multi millionaire counting in US dollars gets saved, we have this little bit of excitement that the church will get richer. We may not say it overtly because you've listened to Pastor Vanke and you know he doesn't like to hear such things. Inside your house, you are still happy. Say, uh, solid men are now coming to this church. Solid people. Solid people. I've, I've, I've heard this many times. People who are complaining that the problem with their church is that young, young people that are coming there. That's why the church is not growing. I've seen that many times. That is the problem, the problem with that. These people are young. They are young. <laughs> There's one thing I just realized in all these situations, the people, young people have grown. No, think about it. People that you complain to me were young 15 years ago and they were 18 19 15 the youngest been 15 add 15 to it what is that yes. many of those young people have four children now the problem is this we have an over opinion of the natural man so we assume that if two face becomes a member of our church he should lead the choir and god says for what we don't realize so he comes to church and Jesus says, sit at the back. I have a testimony. He said, not now. That if I put you in front, the attention will confuse you. So God will say to him, sit at the back. To you, a, 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 I mean, a world famous you know, star like that, with 10 million followers or 20 million followers on Facebook or what do you call it? Instagram, Twitter. You expect that that will be a real platform for ministry. But Jesus says, no. Shut it down. Go to church, sit at the back. Somebody doesn't say go to Bible school. He finds him another job to do. Be an investor, I don't care. But that church, you will just go there like everybody else. He said, But I want to walk in the sanctuary. He said, No problem. They like ushers there. They need ushers. Join the ushers. And I don't mean ushers that carry people to their seat. I mean the ones that come early to clean. Okay, oh, you call them sanctuary keepers. Yes. join. San- walk. Nobody walk. You will He do. Say, where do you think this is? Good ultimate search. You think you are going to the front? You know, there are people who are, and pastors don't understand it. If a man, a woman who's used to the limelight, gives his life to Christ, help him or her change, sit in obscurity for at least, I mean, even if you don't sit for too long, just four years. What do you think I was saying? Six months? Six months. <laughs> For what? That four years was, it was bad too, to say to. I was going to say seven years old. <laughs> nah. you, you, or you want God to Moses you? You know what it means to so Moses somebody? Before they give you the first microphone, you'll be 60 years old. And you've been saying for over 30 years. Let me tell you something about ownership. If I own something, I do what I like with it. So, you may be valuable. To <laughs> so somebody else is nothing. There are clothes you are wearing and feeling very happy. Somebody else is cutting. So, Nigeria would like to wear lace a lot. You carry lace, it's a, it's a, it's a family, I be, everybody wear them. Go and visit somebody else. The man they just take out and do cutting. Not the main one, you know, those ones that are behind. So Some of the musicians you want to put in front, God said, give her a mop. Go clean that bathroom, man, just <laughs> No, you, do you understand? As far as God is concerned, that guy is just a mopstick. stick. To you, he's a, you know, he's a microphone. He's standing in front of him. Amen, praise the Lord. So that's his, I used to jam for the nightclubs. He didn't come and jam in church. Why do you think evil spirits are entering your church? You think his dance is godly? Listen, let's talk about you and me, ourselves as individuals. Let me tell you what God thinks of your natural self before you gave your life to Christ. You were worthless. Sin has so polluted and diluted and you know, corrupted you. Yeah, that's the word, not diluted, corrupted. Polluted and corrupted. According to Gordon's, when he said it was still very correct, he said that God needed to wear gloves to save some, save some people. That they were so dirty. They said, save this one. Get my gloves. (laughs) But all natural men were like that. Were dirty. Not worth anything. So Jesus saved us. Technically, there was nothing in exchange. Value wise. The sinner being exchanged for the son of God. Listen, business wise, it doesn't make sense. But love-wise, it made a lot of sense. That's what it's called, the love of God. But the payment I was talking about is that he now takes us. Remember, I said a lot of this in the last 5 10 minutes. To let us understand that, don't place any value on yourself. Your billions don't make anything to him. Your fame means nothing to him. Your talent, your talents you think you have, they mean nothing to him. And you see a man like Paul, you know what he said? All the things that were gained to me, all the things that were precious to me, I counted them as what? dung. Now, maybe what you don't understand is that when you think of dong, what, you know what you're thinking of? Cattle dong. Cow dong, which has a little value. But what you don't realize is that when Paul said dong, he did not say dong the way you say dong. Because when he said dong, can you say I've said dong how many times now? Like six, seven, eight times. And you're, you're like, yeah, dung, man, come on, give me another dung. Dung. And doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't feel so bad to your hearing. That was why the translator said dung. What Paul really said is shit. You know what? You don't want him to say that a second time. Did you didn't notice that? As soon as I said that one, he said, hmm, this one smells. Because when you step into cow dung, that one is cow dung. But when I said the other one, which you don't want to hear a second time, that was what paul actually said people were just trying to be nice it's like when you see the pictures of jesus on the cross you know he's always wearing a loincloth just because of children the real jesus that was crucified didn't have no loin anything they hung him there naked but one want to put him in church and say ah no that be you have to mark it 18 and above So that we don't have to mark the statue 18 and above. We go, where I say, Jesus, I better wear this one for (laughs) crucifixion. We do that sometimes. That was how Paul described his own value. As a natural man. That was how Paul described the value of the things that he attained. All these things that were gained to me. Remember that Pharisee at the beginning? You know, Paul said, Pharisees. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That is, amongst Pharisees, I was one of the most Pharisaical of the Pharisees. And now, my father was a Pharisee. I had zeal more than my contemporaries. I was educated by one of the best teachers in the land. And I had access to the people in power. He said, but all the things that were gained to me All of them I counted as loss. I counted them as dung. That was the real value. When you compare it, see, when you compare other things to natural life, they look valuable. But when you compare to the life that is in Christ, they have no value. They have no value. They have no value. I'm talking about redemption. Redemption is that Jesus paid all. Then in In return, he expects all. But this so-called all is not valuable. But those who make a mistake concerning the value of their natural life, they actually think that they are doing God a favor, going to church, giving their, you know, perfect lives to Christ. Such a good life they've had. They are coming into Christ with so much money. We can bring value to the church. And that's what they are thinking. Listen, If somebody, if, let me advise pastors. If you are listening to this here, pastor, if somebody just gave his life to Christ, no matter what he offers to do in church, refuse. Tell him to go and sit down. Tell her to go and sit down. I have a testimony. Share it with me. When you finish sharing it with me, I will tell the church. One of our sisters had a fantastic testimony yesterday. Amen. Oh, I was so blessed by the testimony. We will share it. But you, you will sit, you will sit down there. I can help redesign this church. We don't need to redesign. We like it the way it is. In fact, God wants you. We know you are the best architect in the world, but God wants you in this hut to humble you. You don't enter church and say, oh, look, Pastor, we can, we can add value. Thank you. We don't want the value. Sit down. I've had this experience many times. People will come to kingdom world. What can I do? I say, you can sit. Yes. You can sit down. Once you walk up to me and say, ah, you are just come, I'm just seeing you. I will not give you work to do. Am I high on something? Do you know the truth? Almost all of them never come back. Almost all never come back. Once they come and say, hey, how can I, remember your friend? How can I contribute? I say, hey, oh boy, you will sit down there and learn, be learning. They're along the line, you know, the way it's works. They're along the line. Something we just naturally, don't come and, you know, know, we think we owe God to do something. The first thing you owe God is to die properly. That's the first thing we owe him. Because our natural life is not what he's looking for. What he gave us, Compared to what we are giving in return, the value is, is in the order of in- infinity. I we we'll compare. If you want to multiply it, you will keep multiplying. You will never get there. What is he asking for, however? We have to give our whole lives to him. Now, listen to where, where we began from. Ownership. Remember that. Salvation is... Redemption is part of salvation. So, for that purpose, I'll just use that expression. Salvation is redemption. What's redemption? To buy. You are not saved until Jesus really has ownership of your life. That's why we use this expression, and may may we never lose it. Have you given your life, what? To Christ. Have you given your life to Christ? What does it mean? It means to give your life to Christ. It means you belong now to Christ. It means Christ actually has a purpose for your life and he is going to do what he wants with your life, not what you determine. Not what you think is good. What you will do is to discover his purpose for your life, not tell him what he will use you for. No, you don't. Redemption means you have been bought. You don't belong to yourself anymore. I said something last time, I need to say it again. Many Christians, that's the way they made the mistake. They think all there is to it is this salvation. They forget there is this redemption and ownership part. For that reason, they don't really care about what God has for them as a purpose in their lives as long as he blesses them. And that is a terrible thing. Listen, you can be born... You can be blessed. You can be saved, like we describe it. But what gives you effective longevity on the earth is usefulness to the purpose of God for your life. What gives you effective, listen, what you must pursue every day, there are two things God wants from us. Our primary calling, hmm? our primary calling is that Christ should be born in us, that we should become exact copies of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the primary thing. As we are pursuing that, we should bear this second thing in mind. There is a reason why God gave you life. Every time you want to make a decision, just put it in mind. There's a reason he gave me life. There's a reason he gave me life. There's a reason he gave me life. There is a reason he gave me life. There is something I'm supposed to do with this life. That must be primary. That must be in front. That must be the first consideration anytime you have to make a decision. No, I use this illustration a lot. Many years ago, quite a long time ago, now I can't remember. Yes, I think um, I can almost have been a baby that time. Went home to see my parents. And my mother said to me, as a private practice, I used to have a private you know, medical practice those days. Not the kind of normal practice. I do investigations. So I said, oh, that one, I've shut it down. She so said, you shut it down? I said, yes. She wanted to know why. I said, well, it's because of time that the ministry you know, was growing. I said, the ministry is taking so much of my time now that the time I have, you know, I don't have time for too many extra things. That's the summary of what I said. I don't have time for too many extra things. So I had to shut it down. So she now said to me, eh, but the ministry is not paying you money. Is that and Look, you know when, you say, when the Bible says you will give you a mouth and a wisdom. Which none of your adversaries or mothers can resist. <laughs> okay, say, even your mother cannot resist it. I said, I just switch. Normally, when I talk with my mom, okay, I speak in the Yoruba language, all right? That's how I grew up, you understand? So it's natural. But I actually speak better with people in English. But so if I have to, if, so if I have to pray, I can't pray in Yoruba, I can only pray in English. I, can't, I can only preach in English language. That's the language I have spoken most of the time for over 30 years now. No, that's going close to 40 years. That's, you know, once I went to university, you know, English became the standard and it's been like that till today, all right? So when I want to make a point and I really want to be clear, I switch over to English. I can't help it. We're speaking in Europe at that time. So when she asked that question, unconsciously I switched over to English. I said, so mommy, what shall we do then? are we going to say because it's not pain, we will not do the reason why God gave us life, I said to her, this was the reason God allowed you to conceive me and I did not die at birth. (laughs) That was the answer. I said, this was the reason God allowed you to conceive. You know, I normally wouldn't say that to that kind of depth. That's why I tell you it was the Holy Spirit. It was God saying to her, (laughs) <laughs> Leave thank you so, I have another name thank you very much Samuel say so, this is my Samuel don't just touch him you have given him either deliberately or accidentally to the temple <laughs> this is the reason this is the, the you know it's so, it's so interesting that everybody in my house now calls me pastor everybody everybody including my mother everybody calls me pastor that I said to her, listen, because, I said, decisions have to be made. You know, if, you know, Lessa Somra. Lessa Sumra's mother loved the Lord, so she prayed that God would give her a son that will serve God. Because her, her husband did not agree <laughs> to do the things of God. So the woman loved God. Lessa Somra was growing up, he, you know, the, the mother used to, get involved in a lot of things in church. So now we have a lot of guest houses and hotels all over the world. Those days they didn't have like that in the U.S. So if ministers come to town, they look for a family that can host them. If they have a personage, they will stay with the pastor. Sometimes they don't have, they look for a, a comfortable family that can host them. So they used to go to Lester Sumra's house. The mother would bring them over. And typical American family doesn't have too many rooms, so they would eject Lester Sumra from his room and then give it to a preacher. So he hated preachers, because they used to displace him from his room. And to make it worse, his father didn't like them too. To not make it worse for him, he didn't understand why she should be there eating, understand, and talking during the day when everybody else has gone to work. Don't they have work to do? Because the brother are preaching in the evenings. So he didn't like them at all. He disliked preachers. He felt they were lazy people. They didn't have work. So just be going around from one place to the other, talking and then sit down, lie down on his bed and then eat his, eat his mother's food while his father out of courts is just sitting down watching them, disliking them as much as his son. <laughs> no, so, like somebody didn't like preachers. so now make it worse for him, one day a preacher came to town with his, I think with his family. So Lester, he had a son that was Lester's age. So they went to go and swim in the river or water somewhere. And there was another boy with them. And the other boy began to drown. And Lester was struggling to rescue him. The preacher's son ran home. Leaving Lester alone to rescue the boy that was about to perish. So that cemented his hatred for preachers. That not only are they useless, their sons are useless too. (laughs) So he grew up. Now, this is where I'm going. You see. Paul said, God... Knew him from when? His mother's home. Lesa Sumra was known from his mother's home. In his own case, his mother actually prayed specially for God to give her that kind of son. But this boy was growing up hating the Lord. So the mother kept on praying for him. As a young boy, I think at the age of 16 or 17, he was big enough, big man, living home. He wants to go and make money. He doesn't have time for all these things. He started by being a barber. He was cutting hair one day when he began to cough. I kept on coughing. Make a long story short, he went to hospital. They said he had tuberculosis. Now tuberculosis these days is not a death sentence. Once he's diagnosed, doctors will give you drugs, take it regularly six months, you are cured, hundred percent, you're fine, okay? But those it wasn't like that. It was a death sentence. If you couldn't, if you got to a point where they're to be treating you like that, there's nothing. Only God will reverse it. Occasionally some people may be lucky enough, but overall there was no treatment. So diagnosed that he had. Serious tuberculosis that was eating up his lungs. He literally used to cough up pieces of his own lungs. Oh yes, it can be that bad. So you know what they did? They took him back home. That house that he hated so much, where he wanted to go live and go and make money, they took him back there. And his mother now was not the one nursing him and praying for him still. Because she had told the Lord this boy will save the Lord. The God who knew him from his mother's womb said, now, I want my thing. Your mother gave you to me. I'm collecting. <laughs> Somebody say redemption. Yes. His own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Bear that in mind. So now that his own way, this was the end. Don't think God gave him to Barclosis as punishment. That was the natural consequence of the way he chose. You can't fight forces bigger than you. There are things out there. That you have to wrestle with. So God left him to wrestle with them. One of them was one tiny microbe. Called Mycobacterium tuberculosis. With a spirit of death right behind it. He said Lester wrestle. Let me see. And Lester tried the wrestling. And he could not. So they brought him back home. So God said now let me offer you a deal. Somebody say a deal. A deal. Remember it's what? Redemption. It's a bind. It is bind. So the Lord appeared to him, not physically, but he saw a vision. While he was on his bed one morning, he opened his eyes. And on one side of the bed was a casket, cut to his size. He looked at the casket. And everybody can interpret this. You don't need to be, you know, a specialist. You you don't need to call Joseph for this one. Joseph said, this one, uh, dream 101. When you reach advanced level, call me. Don't call Daniel. Daniel said, "Have oh, this one. You are sick. Your lungs are collapsing on you. You open your eyes, you see casket. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> it has only one meaning. <laughs> and he checked what is his exact length. I mean, okay, in fact, <laughs> the Lord made the meaning too clear, too clear, very very clear. Then he turned on the other side. Was a big Bible. You don't need Joseph." To interpret that dream. One side, a casket, your size, and you are sick. The second side, a Bible, quite a big one too. Instantly, the elementary spirit of Joseph and the elementary of Daniel, he ate them up and interpreted the dream. And the Lord was saying to him, in effect, you choose one. Now, let me explain to all of us listening, Okay. One, this one, the casket, is the natural order of things. The wages of sin is death. You have gone your own way. There is a path that leads to destruction. That's how it is. You have chosen it. The way of peace, they do not know. You did not choose the way of peace. You chose this one. So you can go. However, if you want to have life, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Life is in Christ. If you want it, you come into Christ. So God said, what's the deal? Listen to me, people of God, you have to give your life to Christ. So what happened? He gave his life to Christ. He reached out for the Bible. Now, I can't remember exactly what happened. No, next, that is how it happened. But next day, or a few days later, he woke up and he was well. The man that the doctors had given up on, he rose up and he was perfectly healed. Now, don't, please, I don't want you to look at the miracle, miracle side of it. I want you to understand that at that point that he had been bought. That's my emphasis. You know what God was not saying? Oh boy, right now, you are mine. Right now, you are my property. You will do what I want, how I want it, when I want it. There's no negotiation now. Sometimes I hear Christians say, I made a vow to the Lord. Nonsense. What did I say? Join me in saying it now. Nonsense. How can you vow what is not your portion? He gave him a commandment in Israel. You cannot dedicate to God what belongs to him already. You can't. When Hannah said he would give God Samuel, go and read the story very well. She had the rights by law to redeem Samuel. So you know what she did? She went to the temple and still redeemed Samuel and still gave God Samuel. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If she did not redeem Samuel, that was not a favor she was doing to God. Every male that opens the womb he said, belongs to God. Molech, like, the way they worship you like Molech, like, you literally sometimes slaughter the child. But God said, what I will now do again, like we did in Egypt, is that you will give me what? A lamb, a you know, turtle dove, depending on how rich you are, you give me an animal in replacement for that child. That's what they call to buy back. It's called redemption. So, you know what this woman did? Um, Hannah. First, she gave that animal back. When she was going to the temple, she brought that, that bull. Remember, that animal she brought. That was redemption. Making Samuel legitimately the family's owner. They had paid God. Then she now took Samuel and gave him to the Lord. That was what made it acceptable. I hope you're getting my point. You know the in Christianity? God did not give us any such offers. You put down your life as what? A living sacrifice. You don't vow to God what belongs to Him already. God, I will give you 10% of your income. God said, no, 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 sorry. 100% is mine. You want to give me 10%? You are higher on something. You know, we feel like, yeah, I've given God 10%. I, I don't tithe 10%. I type 20%. Have you ever say it before? With pride. Jukes, you are just tithing 10%. Are we in the same heaven? Pastor actually say it. Are you sure you and this one are going to the same heaven? Uh, you, this man, you used to preach like that. Now. Why are you not feeling like you I forgot it? <laughs> they will say, Are you sure you are going to the same heaven? You are paying 10%. Your brethren are paying 70% or 30%. You can't have the same level of blessing. Let me educate you today. It's a joke. All of you are thieves and robbers. The one that pay 10%. And the one that paid 95%, you are all what? Thieves and robbers. Why? The money is not complete. Don't just come and be doing righteousness for me, because you did drop 30%. As long as God you drop? We well, thank God we have increased. We are now on 12%. Sir. Honey, when did you pass 12%? Eh, that was like 8 years ago. What are we on now? We are on 49 We are so reach 80%. Praise God. You are feeling very righteous. You are going to hell and feeling good. Christians, you don't own anything. You don't own anything. You don't own anything. When you give your life to Christ, you give your life to Christ. Not as a favor, but because he did what? He paid and bought you with all your troubles. In fact, you should be happy. Somebody wanted you. with all the calamities in your soul, with all the iniquities you have committed, with all the Satan's running after you legitimately, with all the demon possession in your life, your ancestral curse, in fact, the Hiroko in your father's tree is still waiting for you. <laughs> Why should anybody want you? Why should anybody want you? Yeah, Jesus said, come, just like that. That's what I said at the beginning. Those who realize how bad they are are the ones he saves very easily. The ones who think they are good. They are the ones that he can't help. It's not as if he doesn't want to. He said, they don't, they are not reaching out for my help. They are good girls. Good boys. Never done anything wrong. They saw what their friends were doing. They don't participate. He just said, I can't save them. They are too good. But when you agree to give your life to Christ, listen to me, you do what? You give 100% of your life to him. So you cannot be telling him that I'll give you a small percentage and he's supposed to be grateful. That is my son is dedicated. He gave me 30% of his income. This is my daughter, very good girl. 40% of what she gives. Let me tell you people of God, you owe him 100%. So every dime you spend, you ask approval. Did you hear what I said? You are a custodian of his money. That is why when you buy food and you want to eat it, you thank him. Lord, thank you. I hope we didn't buy too much. And he says, okay, you can eat that one. So you buy a dress, you thank him. You buy a car, you are grateful. Because the money is his own, the car is his own, the manufacturer is his own, the iron they use is his own, everything is his own. So he allows you to use his cash to buy a car, you thank him. Listen to me. I want to say this clearly. Don't, if you, listen, if you want God to do deal harshly with you, do what I'm about to say. Christians, do it. Don't think you have given him 20% or 10% or the, have you heard that one before? When You have given him the first one of the year. The rest is now, I don't know, whatever it's supposed to be. Unconsciously, he buys you freedom, you think, to do as you like. That is how to be destroyed financially. I have given God, so now I can now do what I like. And I become reckless. Sometimes some people you know what we do. Assuming that I want to waste, assuming that God gave me money, I want to blow two million. I, my conscience won't let me sleep. So in the first, you know the first thing I do, I first give out two million so that I can now blow the two million. Let me just tell you, whether you blow four or blow two, you're a sinner. In that regard, yes. You are in disobedience. You can't take my money. And you want to think about it. You came to my house, took my $50,000, I said you helped help me keep it. You went away. Then you say, ah, I saw one shoe at the mall. Oh, that shoe is good. How much is it? 25000 The only money here is is money. So what do we do? Let's give him $25,000 1st The one who spent 25000 he will not complain. You know, I wonder—is your head walking? Are you walking on your head or you're walking on your feet? What What is going on here? You know, there are little things we do as Christians. It's obvious we don't understand what's going on. Sometimes this is our good works. Sometimes we have done it. We have this sense of uh, God must answer my call when I call now. You know, now my shoulder is raised like that too. I'm, I'm prouding, like they say. <laughs> I'm prouding. You actually expect that if I call God, he must answer. Why? Didn't you see the alert? We don't realize that he actually owns us totally, 100%. We belong to him in entirety. Every part of us, our destiny, our lives, the food we eat, where we go, is decided by him. It's decided by him. You don't own yourself at all. Listen to me. Who you, will, who you will marry? It's his choice, not yours. What we discuss is how you will find out. Not whether you will go and find one girl. I say, God, do you like her? I say, you and her, both of you, own yourself and leave this place. Because if you want peace, you should go and come and kneel down like Eleazar of Damascus. Young man, young woman, listen to me clearly. You're not married yet. You're not engaged whatever it is. But if marriage starts coming to your mind, go and learn the story of Eliezer of Damascus. How he chose a wife for Isaac. You know what he said? He said, God, you have been gracious to my master Abraham. Now, let me summarize everything. Okay, I can't remember his exact words, but let's put a summary to it. That now, there is a woman you have chosen for him. Please, this is how I would like to know who it is. The girl who I will ask for this, and she will say this, she will say this, that is, let that one be the one that you, you, let's read it because, because to be as if I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the one telling these stories. What I want to bring out from there is that you see that he made it clear that this is the one that the Lord chose. And I'm telling you young people, please, Go and learn to pray that prayer. Go and learn to pray that prayer. Go and learn to pray that prayer. That that was the servant of Abraham. Remember Eliezer? Yeah. Yes, that was the servant of Abraham. He was it was the one that um Abraham sent to go and get a, a son from sorry, get a wife for um for Isaac, yes. Now, let's quickly get down to it. Chapter 24, Genesis. Now, for time's sake, we'll not read the preamble. Let's just get straight to where the story is. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with him... Now, please, just a second. Well, I just assumed that was Eleazar. The Bible actually didn't say it was Eleazar, right? Did he say so? He just said he's the oldest in the house. What I'm saying is that I know Eliezer was the oldest. That was the one Abraham mentioned before Isaac was born. So this was kind of uh, like 40 years later. So I don't know whether Eliezer was still there at that time. You understand what I'm saying? Or did he say Eliezer? Where is it? Which first verse? Amplify. That one just—they are explaining it to you. I believe that's said. <laughs> you don't know Amplify it says what it likes. <coughs> what I mean is they try to explain it, just like I said, Eliezer. All right. They also try to explain it and says Eliezer. Okay. All right. But let's get to the main images. Let's get to the images. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he rode and went. He arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. The time when the women go out to draw water. Now let's look at verse 12. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show kindness, loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the women of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please, let down your jar, so that I may drink. And who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have, what? Appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. I want to just bring out that word. Eliezer said, well, the servant said, there is a woman you have what? Appointed. It is not the best woman. Let it be the most, you know, the nicest girl in the city. Lord, I want the kind of girl that when Abraham sees, uh, when uh, Isaac sees, he will lose control. I want a girl that will be a good mother. Sometimes God didn't appoint a good mother for you. He appointed a woman that will go, you go and beg to come back. Remember your guy? <laughs> no. Was eh? he? Was It is an appointment. I'm not saying that is normal. I'm not saying that is good. But sometimes people think God's choice is what they call the best. Sometimes what God is doing in your life You need somebody who will will give you small stress to bring the good of God out of you and remove the evil that Satan kept there. Because sometimes what we do unconsciously is that we have a set of standards. My wife and I were discussing this morning, something led to it. Of course, Christians are discussing, so we get involved in the discussions. And I said, Listen, the problem is that, okay, you know, okay, let me just digress a bit and tell you what happened. I've heard this story before that only uh, uh, Rhoda, yes. That Rhoda was the only one praying in faith when we were praying for Peter's deliverance. Remember the story? Yes, yes, yes. Because when Peter came, she was the one that went to open the door. In her faith, she didn't open the door for him, she ran back inside. Our interpretation can be very funny. That's what I'm going to say. And that uh, Rhoda now said, the, when the rest of people said that, um, it's not Peter. Rhoda says the one. Says it's not him. It's his angel. Then and they make a long to short, the Sha, They went and opened the door and found it was Peter. So this is the doctrine we have now brought out of it. That all of them were praying in unbelief. Rhoda was the only one that had faith to deliver Peter. Have you heard that thing before? Have you not heard it before? Oh, praise God. It's good. Don't be hearing everything. Let people like my wife and to hear this one for you. I've heard that thing many times. I can't believe a word of it. And I, my wife and I were discussing this morning. I said, the problem people have is that they don't realize one thing. That God can do excellently, abundantly, far above what you can ask or what? Imagine. So they were praying for Peter, expecting deliverance tomorrow morning. They didn't know as soon as they started praying, God started releasing Peter. Peter probably trekked 20 kilometers to get to where they were hiding. So as they were praying, Peter was on the way. So, by the time Peter knocked, first, he wanted Herod to change his mind. Not that Peter will escape. I don't know whether I get my point. There are all kinds of things that my wife and I were discussing this morning. That they had imaginations of how God would deliver Peter. They had imaginations of how the Lord would deliver Peter. And it did not include him showing sure up suddenly when they are praying. We interpret faith as if you can control life. Faith does not mean you can control life. When Peter showed up, God had done beyond what they imagined. And Rhoda didn't have any more faith than the other people. She just was the one that opened the door. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Andrew did not have more faith than Thomas. Peter did not have more faith than Thomas. Did Peter not see? Did James not see? Did Matthew Co not see? Before they believed. You now say Thomas, you now call Thomas doubting Thomas. May God forgive you. <laughs> Thomas had as much faith as the other people. It's just that God made sure he was not around to teach us a lesson. I hope you're getting my point here. We yes, not say that okay, it's the only Rhoda that had faith. No, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. She didn't have more faith than the other people. She just happened to be the first to open the door and she heard the voice. And recognize the voice. And say, ah, people look, Peter is there. They had not heard the voice. If she has so much faith, why didn't she open the door before Peter knocked? No, no the way we teach sometimes. Why did he not open the door before Peter knocked? Say, brethren, why are you still praying? I receive Peter right now. I open the door. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. <laughs> yeah, he's coming. He's coming know the truth? God did more than they could imagine. Back to what we are talking about, that wife matter and husband matter. Usually when we want to draw pictures and have expectations in our minds, it's based on what we already understand. My wife and I were talking about this morning. In fact, she was so excited when I was explaining it that, listen, if I asked you now, if God told you now, I will make you very rich. I said, instantly in your mind, you calculate how Bill Gates became rich, how Dangute became rich, Do you get what I'm trying to say? All the people you know, how they became, that's what you'll be calculating. And you know what God is doing? He's laughing. (laughs) This guy doesn't know me yet. I'm about to do something Bill Gates has never heard of. I'm about to do something Dan has never heard of. Pastor Banky, what it is? I don't know it too. We don't know why we're all here studying. (laughs) It is when he does it, you will find out. I'll be getting my point. Yes, it is when he does it, you will find out. Let's bear that in mind. It doesn't mean you don't have faith if you cannot picture what God is doing. There's something, there's a teaching of faith we do that actually I don't like. We want to picture exactly what God will do. You don't know it. Stop pretending. Stop pretending. I've had a, you know, I had a meditation some time ago. God told Abraham, You'll be a father of many nations. The natural thing is I'll go born tomorrow. My wife will deliver next week. Is that not so? You know how long it took before Isaac came? 25 years. For well, A man who the discussion started when he was 75. That was why, after some years, Sarah came and said, I think we are misunderstanding what God wants to do. He said, We have our codes of Hammurabi, don't we? Abraham said, Yes. The codes of Hammurabi, which they lived by, it was normal at that time said that if a woman didn't bear for her husband, the woman has the right to take one of her maids and give to her husband, and then the man will have a child by the maid, which is exactly what the wives of um, Jacob were still doing. Sarah said, let us do that. She did not force Father Abraham. Father Abraham said, I think you are making sense. Because God is a prompt God. Amen. God is a good God. Whatever he does, he does speedily. God said, you see, I'm going to teach all of you a lesson in patience. But they were still confessing. This is the kind of God that we are dealing with. Hallelujah. So what do we do now? Mm -hmm. They did the one they knew. And God rejected it. 24 years after. After the call was when God said, by this time next year. Ah, Sarah said, what are you talking about? A woman at my age? We conceive, then she burst into laughter. And the Bible says Abraham himself he laughed when God talked to him. And many of us, you know what we think? That they were doubting. They were not doubting. It was wonderful. He said, Pastor, it was not doubt. It wasn't doubt. How do you know the name of the boy was what? Laughter. Isaac. Isaac meant laughter. That God has caused me to laugh, not to laugh at him. God has put a laughter in my mouth. Has put laughter in my mouth. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that do what that dream. Then what happened? Our mouths were filled with what laughter. Laughter doesn't mean you are doubting; it means you are overwhelmed. That's what happens. So sometimes God does something you didn't plan for. Listen to me, as a child of God, so your hearts listen. Say two things you must be in my place. Listen to listen to what I want to say carefully. Listen carefully. If things are not going the way you planned, first, don't be alarmed. Let me just pray for you. Things will not go the way you planned in Jesus' name. Amen. Say amen. amen. Ah, I command you to have faith. Things will not go the way you planned in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you know? You don't know anything. Let me add a prayer so you can say, with, with com- you can say the amen with confidence. Things will go for you the way God planned. Amen. Uh, you can receive that one easily. What I was trying to explain is that your plan is not always his plan. So if you make the first plan, it jumps. Don't feel bad. Just say you have discovered that is not the, first, that's not the plan of God. You make the second plan, it jumps. Don't feel bad. Just say you have discovered that is not the plan of God. Keep on making plans. You have to keep busy. And they shall continue to jump until your plan aligns with the plan of God. I hope you're getting my point here. Sometimes... When it finally works, it was not your plan. You were sleeping. You were giving up with planning. There was a plan. I said, bros, after I planned seven times, the Lord said, the righteous man feels how many times? Seven times. I said, I've done this, you don't complete. I'm not doing anyone again. And you know what happens? At that point, many times, that's when God gets up and starts his own. You know, some of us, the reason our plans must jump is the, to, so that God can exhaust our energy. When you have too much energy... You are competing with God. You know, God is, God say, let me drive. Say said, no, I can drive. Oh, okay. So, God, oh, no, God is in the steering wheel. So, I, I, have you ever had that experience before? You know, there's experience as a passenger. You've never driven before. It's a good one. There's experience as a driver. You're always driving. There's a new experience. When an experienced driver is not in the passenger seat in front, you need to get a, I don't know whether you're getting my point, you need to learn how to sit when somebody else is driving. You don't get it? If you have never driven, you don't know the difference. You just sit down there like a log of wood. There's no problem. Nothing's happening. Then when they put in the driver's seat, it's another experience. Then when you have been in the driver's seat for a long time, they now put you in the passenger seat. It's a whole new experience to allow the driver to drive. It's learning. You have to learn it. That's how you're pressing brake here. (laughs) Some people almost, they almost snatch the steering. Yes. <laughs> but after you've sat there as a driver, now in the passenger seat for a long time, you now real- you just look who's driving. Once you know who's driving, you relax. Because sometimes the guy is going, you see a truck parked there, you just know he's not planning to jam the truck. He wants to avoid this car parked here. And you know, you're not bothered. Sometimes you just say that, like, did you see that truck? You say, I did. And you're not. You get my point? We need to learn that with God. Very smart planners are drivers. And many of us who are very good with planning, we have never sat down while God is planning. So every day, we are struggling with him for steering. So that is the reason why he allows a lot of our plans to jam until we are frustrated. Until we are thoroughly tired. Every 17 keys for a customer Acquisition, you have used it. All your customers have gone. God Do you have any more keys? Hey, keys don't finish, they're good. <laughs> Five methods to raise capital. That's my guy. That guy used to have like twenty-five methods to raise capital. <laughs> and he was still poor, you know some of my point. <laughs> The Lord is good. God have you finished doing this? Yes. How many capital did you raise? Say Lord. <laughs> I spent more money than I raised. So net minus five thousand. God said, Good. So there are days you now wake you up. Say, get up, let's raise capital. I said, Forget, there's no capital. <laughs> let me say this to you. What I want to say is very simple, but I know what I'm saying. Please learn to pray. Learn to commit your ways into the hands of the Lord. What he will do is that he will direct your path. Do you get my point? He will. Let me tell you what he means when he says will direct your path. Many of us are waiting for the Lord now said to me, get up this morning and go to Guiro Junction. There is a man wearing white. He's waiting for you. Listen to me, stop waiting for such things. What did I say? I heard the testimony. That's one out of 25 million. And trust me, the next 25 million will go through you. It's your, is 10 generation after you. God is not coming to whisper nothing to you. Sometimes it does. Just don't wait for it. Most times God will speak to you. It's your friend that will give you advice. Is it an idea that will just come to your mind? So please don't, don't get hooked on some of these things. Because we have some, you know, we preach sometimes. That's what my wife and I were discussing this morning. That you will pray sometimes as if we have control of life. You don't. You don't. Your faith cannot control life. God doesn't give you enough information for you to control anything. He left Moses until he was tired and frustrated before he called him and the work got done. Go and read Happiest Fool on Earth. Then most Shakarian. God was watching him. God gave him a vision, an idea. Again, thoughts. Ideas just came to his mind on how to gather working men to so come and study the word of God, because most of the time, it's women that go to church. He said, what is the reason? He checked that it's because the churches are structured for women. He said, it's not supposed to be like that. So he said, let me organize things where men can talk, and we preach the word of God. He had all kinds of ideas. All kinds of ideas. They all failed. A man, when he came to Texas to address them, the old man said, in Texas... We do things big. So he rented a big hall. Did everything big. The day of the meeting, you know who came? Nobody. You know, they say, when God wants to show you that he's the one frustrating you, huh? he does it well. You know what happened? Nobody came. They preached to an empty hall. And the janitor, janitor got saved. Who was waiting for them so that they can get out? They even locked the door. One man came to the U.S., heard the story. He said, ah, I'm going back to Europe. I've forgotten which of the European countries. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. I arranged for demo to come. demo reached there. As he was landing, the man said, ah, there's a problem. He said, what's the problem? I was not able to persuade the leaders to listen to you. That journey, wasted. Then one day, his most loyal friend came, came and told him, say, bros, let's face it, this is not working. Demo-Shakira said, Miss I agree. So and his wife, they said it's not working and we are going to shut it down. As they decided to shut it down, Holy Spirit said, at last. They have given up now. Now I can help them. Do you know what happened? I think the wife went, I've forgotten how it happened, but he, he, anyway, the wife went as I playing keyboard. They, I think they were singing, I've forgotten the details, and I've not read that book in a long time. But he fell on the ground and heavens opened and he began to see visions. His wife, that was playing on the keyboard, did not see the visions, but she was prophesying. Her prophecy was a commentary on what she was seeing, what he was seeing. Basically, what the Lord said to them. Now, let me run my thing. Next morning, a man called him and said, "I'm giving you a thousand dollars." And that man called said, "The Lord said I should make my press available to you, so we can print my." That's a full gospel voice that magazine voiced that's how it started one after another people were calling people were volunteering people were agreeing to arrange meetings you know what god just proved to him he did not arrange this thing i did it myself so if your first plan collapses rejoice 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 i became all of this I'm trying to explain something young men young women forget all this uh, forget all this uh, drawing the kind of man i like the man the kind of man you like is not what you're supposed to draw. When you want to pray, what do you do? You go and kneel down and say to God, who do you want me to walk with in this my life? Pray that prayer no matter how old or young you are. Pray it. Ask him to send. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Forget the testimony of somebody. I asked the Lord, send me a tall man, or a yellow man, or a black man. I like Pastor Bank's beard, so any man that looks like him is okay. Forget that. You've you, you heard testimonies like that. Sometimes God reveals, no, God reveals things to people. Are you getting my point? No. Some, he does. He does. In a flash, they, have, they had a vision. They did not even realize it. That vision burnt in their heart. They now come and testify that. It's exactly what I asked for that God gave me. It's a lie. You ask for what God wanted you to have. It's not the other way around. I hope you're getting my point. What happens that sometimes God just gives you a vision, a revelation. It burns in your heart. And you may not even know where it came from. The only time you want to pray, that comes to your heart. And you pray about it. Do you get my point? Then you now come back and testify and convince the rest of us. That exactly, I, I knew, I knew the woman would be from Delta State. I knew she would be from it. I knew she would be like this. I need, didn't know nothing. You did not know anything. What just happened was that you had a flash of revelation. And why did God do that for you? Because He knows say, you are very stubborn. Now you are feeling spiritual. He gave it to you because of the stubbornness of your heart. That if I don't tell you ahead that the girl will from Delta, you will have sworn that in our family we only married from Adamawa. You know, sometimes when God uses visions to persuade stubborn people, you'll not be feeling spiritual. Then I say, you know, as a man of God, when you're fasting, amen, that is when you see vision sheets coming from heaven. It's only when you are stubborn, you will not hear. If Peter was not that hard, hard his head was not that hard, God doesn't, do you think God has nothing else to do but to be sending shit up and down with animal on top of it? No, people now be feeling spiritual. That is the Lord spoke to me. He knows you are deaf. Nobody else can talk to you except they show you vision. And if you did not hear, you will have brought a sword, put it in your neck. Marry. Marry her by force. Say, Lord, if I don't marry, I will kill you. He say, okay, okay, I will marry, I will marry. Then those of us who didn't get vision, just because, men, we don't have your problems. <laughs> no, before I met my wife, God had revealed it through the revelation of the word that all Christians are the same. Whether you are from Gongola, that's Adamawa Wataraba. Uh, you're from uh, Imo and Abia. Or you're from uh, Western Nigeria or Abuja. You don't know where you're from. Whether you're Nasarawa or this one, you know. Abuja people must be confused. They don't even know which part of Nigeria they're from. <laughs> I, that way, I, never, I never had any shadow of doubt in my mind that we're all believers in Christ Jesus. Never had a shadow of doubt. Never. So God did not have to give me revelation that... Thy wife Banky shall come from Delta State. He knows that once you, if you bring Delta babe, we no run. She she give her life to Christ completely, loves the Lord. Eh? About God, not to spoil. Oh. So that revelation was not what necessary. You know there was a time God told him um, what is his name, Gideon. That if you are afraid, go to the camp. Gideon said, Let me not lie to you, Lord. I'm afraid. Oh. So he now went to the camp and heard some people talking. It became an encouragement for him. He's not as a man of God. Before you set out on a mission, go and hear your enemies talk. No, if you are afraid. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. What i am I going to emphasize? You can't decide what God will do. He, You are his own property. I hope you're getting my point. You belong to him. You want to pray about his married things? Ask that simple question. Who have you ordained? Over time, he will reveal it to you. But let him know that you are not seeking your own agenda, but you are seeking his agenda. That's what I'm trying to preach. Christians, sometimes when we don't realize, we behave as if we have control of life. We don't. Somebody owns you. Somebody does. Listen, listen you know, this is, there's a testimony I use. When I was coming to Enugu, finding a house that I don't know, do, it was really difficult. I want to pray to have a house. It's good to pray. But the way we used to pray, I said, Lord, coming to Enugu was never my idea. Never, not one moment did I say, Enugu is a beautiful place. I've only been there once in my life. No tentacles here. So by the time we arrived, and God confirmed through different methods that he's the one that was sending us. I, said, God, I told my wife, God did not expect us to live under a mango tree. So he must have prepared something. And that's what we kept home. Anytime we had to pray. Lord, where is that house you prepared? That was the way we prayed. The idea is that, did I come here because I was looking for something? No. I don't know how I knew it, but I just said, once I'm done with my training in Lagos, the next place I will go, it looks like that's where I will start teaching the word of God from. Then a friend of mine said, why don't you come to Enugu? They were the ones that planted the idea in my mind. Why don't you come to Enugu? You will like it there. I said, eh? Then the idea stayed and got stronger. And we began to pray about that one. The one brother came and began to prophesy. He did not know I was having thoughts in my mind. When he opened his mouth and began to prophesy. If he wasn't prophesying, it was just gisting. We're just talking. I just saw him downstairs. We're not seeing years. How are you doing? How's everything? Then gist dried up, you know? The way you talk and there's no gist again. And suddenly, just looking for what to say. started talking about Enugu. I looked, literally, I looked over my shoulder like, did somebody tell this guy something? He said, Enugu is a nice place, a nice place to raise a family, it's a quiet town. He, ah, he kept on describing the place. Ah. I felt like I said, oh boy, why are you talking about Enugu? I have not seen this guy literally, literally in years until that day. I took that as a revelation from heaven, just like David Paulson. He said, he prayed to God that, God, please, what do you want me to do, really? And he said to the Lord, tell me today before 12 noon. (laughs) And he left his house. That The woman saw him on the way. He was planning to be a farmer. The man just said, David, I don't see you ending up behind the plow. I see you behind the pulpit. Like quarter to 12. No, he said to the Lord, that's not clear enough. (laughs) Quarter to 12. Another man said to him, David, why are you not yet in the ministry? They did not know he prayed to the Lord that morning. He said, Lord, if, you, if I don't hear after this one, then this one has stubbornness. <laughs> Listen to me, people of God. I came to Enugu not because I loved Enugu. I came to Enugu because I said, somebody owns me. He decides where I go. So people have come up with ideas. I remember then, shortly after, so one of my colleagues told me that ah they should tell me that space is now open in is it Ibadan or Lagos? They just a lot of people assumed I came to Enugu you know to to hold not just to hold body more like they say until other things open. So I got to Lagos that day and she you know, I, I, not me that, ah did I get the message? I say yes. I I just took one of our trucks and pushed over to her, look behind it, Kingdom World Ministries P.O. Box two two seven three Enugu Nigeria. So That's what is going down. Forget this job matter. I just showed her the tract. Kingdom World Ministries, P.O. Box 2273, Enugu, Nigeria. So that's what's going down. I'm not leaving. The man who was the H.O.D., when I came to take a job in the university at that time, he said to me that when they were just talking, he said, at least while you are still around, he was just trying to... He said, we should be able to do this while you are still around. <laughs> I just looked at that and smiled. Of course, it's not like I was swearing to anybody I would die in the city. But that, what you are thinking. Because, you see, it was unusual. Most people come from Western Nigeria. Don't come to settle in Eastern Nigeria for no reason. Either NYC brings them, or a job somebody transferred them, or maybe some of them, they chase one woman and come down. You understand my point? It happens. You know? Strange things happen to men. <laughs> the way of a man with a maiden. Strange things. Strange things. But none of this happened to me. I finished NYC six years before that. Seven years, actually. This was 2000. I was married. I wasn't working for anybody that could transfer me. So why are you going where you are going? I'm telling you, because we are teaching the word of God, now this is the truth. We recognize, my wife and I, that the Lord said, go to Enugu, and from there begin to teach. So as soon as we settled in Enugu, I began to write tracts. I began to write. I began to write. No matter what happened in the new guys, I wasn't going anywhere. Why? I didn't come because I was looking for anything. Paul explained that we are true soldiers of whom? Of Christ. So stop this kind of idea of let me look for the man that's best for me, the woman that's best for me, the job that is best for me, the city that is best for me. That's not Christian thinking. You are still thinking that salvation low level. Think redemption level. In redemption level, you understand. That you have been bought, you are no longer your own. Let me tell you how soldiers behave. If they say to two soldiers, man this machine gun, an enemy is advancing, and they know they should leave. You know what they do? They turn and ask Oga, okay, do we retreat? If the boss says no, you know what they do? They man the machine gun. Sometimes, why man the machine gun? They get killed. That's what it means to be a soldier. They want, those mobile policemen you see that stand in proper formation and they're on the road. Have you noticed, if it is raining, they are there. Have not noticed? The rain is pouring. They don't go away. If they, they happen not to have come out, out that day with protective gear, that's it. It will soak them in and out. They don't leave. Same thing with the soldiers. Once you see... Military checkpoint, those ones, you know, their checkpoint is always genuine. Let rain, there's no rain that is falling. They don't go. That was why Paul wrote to Timothy Endure hardship as a true soldier. Most of us are fake soldiers. Fake. We claim to be Christians. We don't understand anything. Any little discomfort will have disappeared. Demas has departed from me. Having fallen in love with this present world. He ran to Thessalonica. Why? Where Paul was, was uncomfortable. You don't know what it means to be a soldier. What is salvation? Salvation is redemption. What is redemption? Redemption means you belong to somebody you have been bought with a price. That's what Paul said. You have been what? Bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. So everything you do must reflect the person that owns you. You don't even dress to please yourself. I hope you get my point. You don't dress to please a trend. One day I sat my wife down we were discussing at home. I said, listen. I said, oh girl. She knows oh, if me and you go somewhere, we'll sit in front. Not, not like a life fronto. It's just my, it's my affliction in this life. If I go to a church, once the pastor knows me, the pastor Bank is around. Ah, where is he? They pull me to the front. So I said, if we are going somewhere, just realize they can put you in front. Number one. Number two, the young women in the church, they are looking at you. They will copy you. And if you do something to level five, they are taking you to level 10. Anything you do now is not negative about you. And then please, before you quarrel with somebody, no, it is not you that is quarrel; It is Mrs. Banky, preacher. I don't know whether you're getting my point. As Christians, that's how our lives are. We don't make decisions because it's comfortable. We make decisions because that's what the owner says. Let's read this one. The book of Acts, chapter 27. One of my favorite verses is here. What Paul said, after they had been on that boat... They had been on that ship. The storm did not let up. He was now begging the men to eat. He said from verse twenty-two. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life, among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God. To whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. I don't want to read beyond that. It's the way he described God that I'm talking about. He said, whose I am, King James says, and whom I serve. Paul said, this is my life. I belong to somebody. What is the concept of redemption? We're talking about what salvation is. I'm teaching today for us to understand that salvation is not set free. To roam around recklessly. We are bought. With what? A price. We belong to somebody. We must serve the purpose. Of the person that paid. He did not redeem us. That is so that we can go free. He redeemed us so we will be his own. When God took Israel. Out of Egypt. He made it clear to them. I have taken you as mine. Do you get my point? God took you as his own. The problem is that we focus so much on that blessing, blessing side. We forget the ownership side. We forget the responsibility side. Remember there's a summary I told you about? He rose up next day and instantly told his mother, told his father, that I have to go and preach. Why? He said, in many words, I have to stay alive. Did you hear what I said? He said, well, I read this book, Courage to Conquer. You can; It's a beautiful book. Well written. You know? It's not a like textbook style. Just very nice flowing gist. Courage to Conquer. Please try and get the book. You see, in the book he explained that that day he got up and he left his house. He said, till today that he was writing the book, of course it's passed on now for some years. He said, till that time he was writing the book, he said he couldn't remember the name of his friend that he met. He just left the house, he saw a friend of his. Where are you going? He said he doesn't know where. The guy said, let's go. <laughs> Did you he hear what I said? He didn't have where he was going. That guy, too, didn't have where he was going. But the guy had a car, and, and Lester had some money. So they bought the fuel and started driving. They drove until he saw a building. It looked like a, of course, like a warehouse, a barn, actually. So he stopped. It was a farmhouse. So I went to the, bar, to the owner. Please, can I use your band? I want to start, um, preaching. The man looked at his, I think that time he was 17 or 18. Look at the little boy. You want to preach? You look like a preacher? Come on, move. You know that attitude. I can't give it to you. He said, he looked at the man. He looked at the man. And I said, I cry. Ah, <laughs> the man like, what is the problem? He said, you don't understand. I must preach. If I don't preach, I will die. And if I die, God will have to ask you concerning my blood. The man looked like, ah. <laughs> the man collected the keys. Go and preach. He opened the bank, cleaned the place up, then went around the neighboring, you know, small, small villages, telling them, please, oh, we have nightly meetings in that place. And he started doing what his mother's guests used to do. Remember, he was not staying in that man's house. Except that this time around, the man did not treat him the way his mother and father used to treat other preachers. He said, in his mind, he just thought, this is how preachers behave. He wake up in the morning, read your Bible and pray. That way, he woke up in the morning. The man said, you're still sleeping. Come on, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. The man woke him up. He said, you're going to be staying here. You got to walk. What? He said, my guy. <laughs> I'm going to say, my guy. He said, "Go slop my hogs." That's what I heard the expression for the first time. I for. for said, slop my hogs. Hogs as pigs. He said, "What do you mean to slop hogs?" He said, the whole day, all the rubbish, the remnant of food that pigs eat anything. So they pack everything there. If you eat a by no finish and put them inside there. If you're eating chicken, you put them inside there. If you are, you come and you cut a uh, fresh corn. You, did, you put everything is put in one big basin. So you can imagine what it looked like in the morning. That was his job every morning to carry this thing and go and feed the pigs. That's what he was doing for some days. He stayed there for, I don't know how long, preaching to those people. He said, I didn't care whether they believed or not. I didn't care whether they lived or died. He said, I needed to preach to stay alive. That it took him years to have love for lost souls. Initially, all he was doing was preach to stay alive. It may look like it was not a good thing, but it's a right attitude to start life with. Understand that I do the work of God to stay alive. Why? Because I belong to somebody. This life has not been given to me to drive the latest car. It has not been given to me to use the latest iPhone or is it Note 20. No, it has not been given to me to enjoy myself. It has been given to me to do a purpose. Listen to me, let me end it here. When you give your life to Christ, one major thing that, God, that Jesus is doing for you is that he's reuniting you with the purpose of God for your life. Let me say that again. When you give your life to Christ, one thing Jesus is doing is to reunite you with the purpose of God for your life. God does not invent a purpose after you give your life to Christ, no. Sin took you away from the purpose of God. And many people are walking around life recklessly, aimlessly. The purpose of their lives can never be discovered. Because the only person, the only person that can unite you with the purpose of God for your life is Christ Jesus. So that was what God did to Paul. At a point in time, when Paul, you know, that time Paul was doing everything he was doing. You know what Jesus was saying? That is my apostle to the Gentiles. That's my chosen apostle. That's my chosen apostle. Now let me just say this. It does not mean that Paul could not have refused. God doesn't force you. Lesser, some could have taken that casket, but that casket would have been buried in it. He could have. But why should we do that? Why do we choose a casket? What should we choose? That Bible. Life. Not all of us are going to be preachers. But all, of course, all of us will testify for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. All of us. But the, whatever it is that God has ordained for you to do, you have been given life to do it. As part of salvation, therefore, it's not just to claim. I'm rich. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. You know, I believe that we, quote, we, we, we declare it here all the time. But realize that God, the purpose for my life, I ask of you, may I never miss it. That is what salvation is. Let's bow down and to so pray. Let's bow down and to so pray. Let's say, Lord, lead me in the path of my destiny.